Hello again. Uh, today's reading uh, comes to us uh, authored by the, uh, the brilliant, the wise, the very highly evolved Mark Nepo. I, I highly recommend him if you're not familiar with him. And it's titled, Loving Yourself. In loving yourselves, in lo loving ourselves, forgive me, we love the world. For just as fire, rock, and water are all made up of molecules, everything, including you and me, is connected by a small piece of the beginning. Yet how do we love ourselves? It is as difficult at times as seeing the back of your head. It can be as elusive as it is necessary. I have tried and tripped many times, and I can only say that loving yourself is like feeding a clear bird that no one else can see. You must be still and offer your palm full of secrets like delicate seed. As she eats your secrets, no longer secret, she glows and you lighten. And her voice, which only you can hear, is your voice bereft of plans and the light through her body will bathe you till you wonder why the gems in your palm were ever fisted. Others will think you crazed to wait on something no one sees, but the clear bird only wants to feed and fly and sing. She only wants light in her belly. And once in a great while, if someone loves you enough, they might see her rise from the nest beneath your fear. In this way, I've learned that loving yourself requires a courage unlike any other. It requires us to believe in and stay loyal to something no one else can see that keeps us in the world, our own self-worth. Can you recall the worst thing anyone ever said to you? I can. It was a string of three statements. They were delivered with venom, the words spat into my face by a luxury real estate agent from Minnesota. I had met her only two days prior. Here are the three statements in all their painful glory. You'll never have the life you want. You're not going to lose any weight, so you might as well stop trying. No man will ever love you. It was November of 2019 during a women's, a women's retreat program in Northern California. This woman barely knew me, yet she knew exactly how to inflict the most harm. How did she know? She knew because she had an inside track. You see, she was reading my own worst thoughts about myself back to me. We had written them down and only later learned that we'd be handing them to an assigned partner who would act the part of the superego and read them back to us with the aforementioned venom. By the end of this gut-wrenching exercise, when we had heard such self-loathing thoughts from more than 25 women, we learned strategies for combating critical self-talk. 
but I learned something else as well. As I listened to the ugly commentaries that these women, these accomplished, intelligent, thoughtful, beautiful women were making about themselves, I had a realization. What they were saying obviously wasn't true. And if all of their thoughts were not true, what were the chances that mine were the only ones that were? As obvious as the answer is right now, it was an aha moment that I will never forget. Self-talk matters. We talk to ourselves more than we talk to anyone else in the world. It forms the talk track of our lives. Psychologists tell us that increasing positive thoughts and decreasing negative ones can have a profound effect on our well-being and can impact the, day, the way we deal with people and circumstances. As author and spiritual teacher Sally Kempton said, it's hard to fight an enemy who has outposts in your head. Kempton is right, of course, and when we consider it rationally, it seems easy to see that. And yet, for so many of us, it's very difficult to evict enemy thoughts from the outposts in our minds. Why is this? Is self-loathing innate in some way? Did our early ancestors harness fire, invent the wheel, and develop clothing only to turn to their tribe members and ask, does this fig leaf make my butt look big? Or is it the way we were raised? Girls and women have it worse. Studies show that adolescent girls have lower self-esteem and more negative assessments of their physical appearance and intellectual abilities than boys. In recent years, social media has greatly exacerbated this phenomenon. I'd like to say that in the 18 months since that retreat, I've not had a negative thought. Of course, that would be a lie. I do, however, try to take the advice of experts and apply an objective lens to those voices to try to separate them from reality. Sometimes it's as simple as not referring to yourself in the first person. Replacing the I or me with he, she, or they can help us think more objectively about our thoughts and emotions. And it's a much gentler lesson than the one I got in California from that real estate agent. It is a liberation to realize that the voice in my head is not who I am, says Eckhart Tolle. Who am I then? The one who sees that. Self-talk along with self-care and self-compassion are crucial components of self-love. Self-love is pretty much the basis for everything, and I mean everything there is. To cultivate self-love means to appreciate ourselves, 
to have a high regard for our physical, psychological, and spiritual well-being. To believe that we're worth treating with respect and compassion and appreciating that this belief is the basis for how we treat ourselves and interact with others and the greater world. As Mark Nepo said in this morning's reading, everything is connected by a small piece of the beginning. And in loving ourselves, we love the world. For Oscar Wilde, to love oneself is the beginning of a lifelong romance. Why then is this romance often unrequited? Let's try something. I want you to ask yourself a question. Answer in your mind, but honestly. Here goes. I can count on myself to be blank. Choose one word to fill in that blank. I can count on myself to be blank. Now, I'm not going to ask you to divulge your word, but I'm guessing that not many of you answered spectacular. How about special, thoughtful, sensitive, smart, generous, caring, or funny? Not many, huh? Now, what if I asked you to name the three people in the world who you love the most? You've got only a couple of seconds to make your list and you only get three people. Okay, go. Time's up. How many of you included yourself? My hunch is not many. I feel your pain. I know in my head that I'm a smart, accomplished, decent human being. I've made some solid life choices, and I'd like to think that when my time here on earth is done, I will have made a generally positive impact. But knowing that in my head and feeling it, believing it in my heart are two different things. Sometimes I get it right. More than 20 years ago, I loved myself enough to leave the church of my childhood, the only one I knew to become a Unitarian Universalist. Finally, my most profound beliefs were not at odds with church doctrine on issues such as gender equality, gender identity, and sexual orientation. The first principle of Unitarian Universalism is the inherent worth and dignity of every person, every person, each of us, no matter who we are, what the color of our skin, how we move or who we love. Sadly, we know how difficult that is for some people and some religions. It can be equally difficult to love the person we should know best, ourselves. When we succeed, we are stronger and so is our interdependent web of all existence. One of the six sources for our living tradition are teachings that call us, call us to respond to God's love 
by loving our neighbors as ourselves. Buddhist teachings espouse that you must love yourself before you can extend that love to others. One of my favorite meditations is the metta or loving kindness meditation, where you open your heart to extend good thoughts, care and concern to those closest to you, then to acquaintances and strangers, and finally to those people Let's just say who you feel least close to. There are many variations of this meditation, but what they all have in common is that they start first with sending those wishes to yourself. Right about now, some of you might be thinking, isn't this all a bunch of selfish, narcissistic nonsense? Actually, no. Loving yourself is a healthy trait steeped in acceptance and confidence. Narcissism is a personality disorder. Narcissists have an inflated sense of self-importance, but their self-esteem is actually fragile. They're on a doomed lifelong mission to try to preserve and enhance it by manipulating others, no matter the cost. True self-regard or self-love leads to the opposite result. It makes you a better friend, a better romantic partner, a better parent, a better church member. We're better to each other when we're better to ourselves. Loving myself and showing that love by respecting my needs has made me a better mother, I'm sure of that. I made a decision early on that although being a parent was among the most important things I'll do in my life, it isn't the only thing. I'm worthy of developing a career, pursuing interesting hobbies, seeking emotional growth, and cultivating personal relationships. When you love something, it's only natural to want to care for it. Self-care is an essential part of self-love. True sustaining self-care is more than a massage or pedicure. It's when we know what we need to do or not do to keep us healthy in mind, body, and spirit. It's also individualized. What works for one person might not work at all for someone else. One of my former coworkers spent most of her weekends sewing elaborate costumes for her house full of cats. Another friend competes in Tough Mudder competitions because we all know that regular marathons are too easy unless you're slugging through mud-covered obstacles. My self-care rituals aren't particularly novel, but a couple are quirky nonetheless. First, I'm addicted to motivational memes or Instagram poetry. You know, where someone takes a pithy statement, puts it in a beautiful typeface and slaps it onto a photo of a breathtaking sunset or blooming flower. You could spend hours on the internet losing yourself in these. I know, I've done it. 
I'm aware that some of them aren't very deep or very creative, but others are downright inspiring. And what's not to love about words and sunsets and flowers? One of my favorite Instagram follows, Rupi Kaur, shares her micro poetry, often just a line or two, such as this one on self-love. If you are not enough for yourself, you will never be enough for someone else. Others are unattributed, such as love yourself first, because that's who you will be spending the rest of your life with. And be your own reason to smile. Perhaps my favorite is this one. Self-love is the greatest middle finger of all time. The, the other self-care ritual I will share is that I regularly hold one-woman kitchen dance performances. Let's be clear. I'm not talking about a couple of sways in front of the open refrigerator door as you peruse its contents. No, I'm talking about a blaring rendition of one of my favorites, Think Gloria Gaynor's I Will Survive, where I belt out the chorus into a spatula microphone and dance like no one is watching because if they were, they would surely call 911 to render me aid. I can laugh at myself, but I truly make no apologies for these performances. And that brings me to the topic of self-compassion. It can be even more elusive than self-care yet even more essential. Kristen Neff, the pioneer of self-compassion research, defines it simply. It's when you treat yourself with the same kindness, concern, and support you'd show to a good friend. This is especially necessary when we encounter our shadow selves, those parts of ourselves that are hard to love or when we struggle, fail, or make mistakes. Self-compassion recognizes that imperfection is part of the shared human experience, and it starts with us. As Thich Nhat Hanh explains, to understand the suffering of others, we must first touch our own suffering and listen to it. Self-compassion doesn't come easy for me. I can be judgmental. And if you know anything about judgmental people, you know that they reserve their toughest, most brutal judgments for themselves. That applies whether I'm feeling guilty for losing patience with my 85-year-old mother when she forgets how to access her cell phone voicemail for the dozenth time, or just regretting eating too much Grater's black raspberry chocolate chip ice cream. My friend Bridget likes to say that when you point your finger at someone, there are three others pointing back at you. We need to give each other and ourselves a break. But what if you've done something truly terrible or your challenges appear insurmountable? By all means, make amends, ask for help, 
Keep going. What you did is not who you are. Pretty much everyone has merit and value and worth. Love yourself as an act of redemption. I'm going to close with my own gesture of self-compassion. I'm not going to revisit those statements vocalized by that Minnesota real estate agent, ever. Well, maybe just this one. You'll never have the life you want. Hmm. The life I have is the one I've built. And up to now, I wouldn't trade it even if I had the chance. As for the future, it's my own and part of every other life I will encounter. These two conditions mean the possibilities are endless. May I and all of us make the most of those possibilities for ourselves and for the world. Amen. Blessed be.